Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. The media will often want to get that headline out there very quickly, and there's not a lot of attention to the detail, and which is hard. In this case, it's gone on for 13 years. So as I have learned more about the case, there's really nothing straight about it. There's so many really heartbreaking aspects of how she was treated. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am joined by one of my colleagues in California, attorney Christopher Melcher. Hi, Chris. It's so nice to have you here today. Well, thanks, Susan, for having me on the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. So, Christopher, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here because lately when I start scrolling through my feed, I have seen you giving such wonderful and nuanced legal analysis of the free Britney movement and what is happening um, in this, you know, sort of very public-facing family battle and legal battle. Um, And I think that the information that you've been putting out there for the world is so important because unfortunately, as with most celebrity cases, when the media is reporting, they tend to go with what's sensational and their layperson interpretation. And what you've done is brought a very experienced viewfinder to the topics and you're putting that information out there. So we're gonna be talking about the free Britney movement and the free Britney action that's pending currently in California. Um, I do want people to know you are a family law attorney in Los Angeles, California, and you've handled all kinds of celebrity cases, high net worth cases. I mean, you're really in that, you move in that world. 
Um, so the inside information that you're bringing here and the insights you give on this sort of a case is really your, your world. It's your bailiwick. So again, thank you so much for joining me and let's talk about Free Britney. Well, thanks, Susan. And, and I, I kind of fell into this because I've been spending a lot of time doing media interviews on celebrity cases, high profile trials. And that's just been a passion of mine. I think as I've been doing this divorce stuff for so long, now 27 years, I've been kind of gravitating more towards the journalism reporting side of things. Uh, I just enjoy it. And I've been talking about Brittany's case for the last year but when I started doing it, I really didn't understand the facts. And like you say, that uh, the media will often want to get that headline out there very quickly, and there's not a lot of attention to the detail, and which is hard. In this case, it's gone on for 13 years. So as I have learned more about the case, there's really nothing straight about it. There's so many really heartbreaking aspects of how she was treated and a lot of people in the Free Britney movement for years have been following this story, gathering court documents, analyzing it. It's all there on Twitter, some great threads that really lay things out, dedicated people. So I've built upon that work and then now trying to bring the legal voice to that uh, to understand, help people understand what the process is, what these term the terminology is, the strategy that our new attorneys using. So it's it's I don't do conservatorship law, and I don't plan on ever doing it. But this is such an important issue. And I'm really happy that people are interested, not only in this story, but the larger story about conservatorships and the larger story about how the court system works. Yeah, I think that that is uh, such an important aspect of this that maybe people aren't catching that nuance is that this is shining a light on a part of the court system that maybe needs some reworking or needs some oversight or, or different approaches. Um, and because of the notoriety of the people who are involved, and, and frankly, probably the level of abuse of the system that has occurred here, um, hopefully it is going to bring about change. But one of the important aspects of that is truly understanding what has happened. So maybe the best place to start would be to go back in time. Um, you mentioned this has been a 13-year saga. Um, and there was, for those listeners who are were, are younger and maybe don't remember, um, Brittany did have what was publicized highly is, you know, a rather public mental health period or crisis um, that is what started this whole journey. But can you can you just explain? I know conservatorship law is not your area, but just from that high level, what happened and why a conservatorship was put into place in the first place? Sure. So with a conservatorship, it's placing one adult in charge of another adult. This is an extreme remedy that we can only get placed on somebody in, with clear and convincing evidence. Uh, it has to be narrowly tailored. And these are people who can't take care of themselves safely. So they can't provide for food, clothing. Um, they can't take care of their finances. It's not just that they make bad decisions. It's not just that they have mental health issues or illness or infirmity. It's way, it has to be way, way beyond that because there's plenty of people who make bad decisions. Plenty of people have mental health crisis yeah. 
and and are not under conservatorship. So this is an extreme remedy. You should know within talking to somebody within minutes if they need a conservatorship. It needs to be at that level. There's just people with dementia, um, gravely disabled people. Um, and there's different forms of conservatorships for each one of them. But uh, th- this is not just for somebody who, who has a breakdown or a crisis. But that's what was placed on Brittany. Now, certainly 13 years ago, she had um, a lot of struggles, but she was also going through a lot. And I think she was triggered by the paparazzi going through this custody dispute um, the pressures of everything that was happening in her life, and she did get upset and have a break. But that was temporary, it seems. And what occurred, though, is that her father swept in February 1st, 2008, and made an application of the L.A. Superior Court to place her under a temporary conservatorship without giving her any notice at all. In court papers, he said that if Brittany was told of his efforts to take her liberty away, that she would somehow be harmed by herself or others. And the court was convinced that it could take away all of the rights that we have as adults and individuals um, without any notice to her based on paperwork only submitted by her dad. And I have looked very carefully at the probate code that is not allowed. The court has to give notice and has to even bring the conservatee, her, the proposed conservatee, into court. So the court was was tricked, and this is how it started. And then over time, she capitulated to it in what they're calling now a voluntary conservatorship. But court papers do show that um, she was told that if she didn't Uh, cooperate with this conservatorship that she would lose custody of her kids. So uh, the court papers also show that she was not given court papers, that there was actually an order forbidding her attorney from giving her court papers, that the court appointed what's called a volunteer attorney for her. It's a panel attorney uh, on February 1, and she came in immediately with her chosen attorney from a big law firm, very experienced person, Adam Streisand. The court would not recognize that attorney. So this, there are so many failures of the court system, and it's gone on for so long, and I think that it's worked in the shadows because we all saw publicly what happened with Brittany over 13 years ago, and people just figured, hey, she needs help, and her, her dad's helping her. Now she's speaking out, and it does seem like an abusive conservatorship that the court is allowed to go on for a long time and is now finally being challenged. And with all this scrutiny on it um, by the public, I am hoping that the court will finally act. It, and it does seem to finally be coming to a head. But as you mentioned, it's been a very long road. And you know, one of the things that I've heard rather extensively, at least in the media, is that Brittany didn't know and wasn't given information about the conservatorship and the fact that she could petition to end it at any point in time. Yeah, I, I think that that's correct. Her, She had a court-appointed attorney. This wasn't her chosen attorney. And so we, of course, don't know what happened between the two of them. But just her conduct would show that 
Uh, she didn't really understand. And how could anybody understand, even us as attorneys, how could we really understand what it means to be placed under a conservatorship and have our rights taken away and, and how hard it would be to regain those rights? So I really doubt Britney Spears, especially in that state, would have understood any of these things when she so-called voluntarily consented to it. One of the things that just came out in a court filing by her dad last week kind of confirms to me that she didn't understand some of this. She was placed in a mental health facility and um, at some point by her father, and her father uh, has been criticized for that. And her father says, well, I didn't really do that. It was somebody else. And she could check herself in and out anytime she wanted to. And that uh, she even saw her kids there in the mental health hospital. To me, um, yes, I'm sure that, that the paperwork shows that she could check herself in and out because they can't involuntarily commit her to a mental health hospital. But what parent would want their child or children to go into a mental health hospital to see them or be there for any circumstances. No parent would want that. And if she truly believed or understood that she could just check herself out, she would say, hey, today's my day with the kids. Let me go check myself out. I'll go down the street, see the kids at the park or wherever it's going to be or her house, and then go check herself back in. The fact that she didn't do that would lead me to believe that she didn't understand any of these things and was being led to believe that she had to go along with the program uh, to keep her rights to um, access to money that she earned herself that was very limited. So there's, there's just so many unfortunate parts about the story that are just being told right now. And what's, what's really frustrating to me as a lawyer is that the court hasn't listened. It hasn't really stood up for her like it should have. And I'm hoping we're going to see something different coming up. But so far, I am not impressed at how the court has acted. Yeah, it's, you know, you mentioned that we haven't heard much of the story, but we did not long ago hear from Brittany herself. And this was much report. I mean, it was, you know, the leading story, I think, for days. And I listened just like I think most of the world did. And it was heartbreaking what I heard her saying. It was truly um, a, a person who, you know, you, you felt her pain and you felt uh, the level of abuse that had been perpetrated here. I mean, they, she was talking about, not to talk about personal issues, but it, it, it's, it goes to, I think it was this, one of the things that to me just showed to what level it puts someone else in control of another person she was not permitted to remove a birth control device or have it removed from her body so she could have more children because someone else was making that decision about her her choices and i it just and there was so much more in that what what stood out to you from her testimony on that day well there there's there's been critique of that and some people would say oh she was rambling and she said wild things and that shows that she should be under a conservatorship and to me that's not the test uh, like we talked about a bit ago that there there has to be really like incapacity and here um, she made a lot of allegations I don't know if they're all true or not those that'll be tested eventually but the things she articulated were that um, 
she wanted out of this conservatorship and didn't want to submit to a mental health exam. And she said that there were some authority in other states that where people have gotten out of a conservatorship without a mental health exam. Well, to me, that's a pretty sophisticated sentence to string together. Somebody who could say that isn't incapacitated. And also the medication that she was given lithium. And uh, so that's been addressed, uh, at least partially, by her dad in a recent filing. But uh, that, that's certainly going to have an effect on somebody. So um, I, I, I just think that the, the detail that we got from her would have caused an ordinary court to immediately go into action. I know that they did order a probate court investigator report that's confidential that we haven't seen, but I would have liked to seen a lot more action to say, hey, let's get the dad out of here because he's not coming in like an ordinary parent or relative would do is just saying, hey, out of obligation and love, I'm going to take care of my child. He is profiting off of this in the millions of dollars and he, she gets less money than he does on a monthly basis, even though it's her money that she's worked for. And there's been transactions that he's made. He's, he's bought property from her estate or he's leased property to her estate. There's no reason for those self-interested transactions when he's a fiduciary. So there's nothing uh, straight about it. And she doesn't want him out. They're not even talking to each other. He lives in a different state. There's no reason for him to hold on to power other than to profit from it or to conceal the transactions that have happened over 13 years. So I wish he would step aside, but he's placed some really bad conditions on leaving. And the court has just really utterly failed Brittany by not acting rapidly. I'm sure if um, the court itself were under, the judge itself were under these circumstances that it would expect something quicker than what's happened. Yeah, well, there's a great point, right? If it were uh, one of the jurists hearing the case, if it was their life being held under someone else's thumb um, under these circumstances, I agree. You know, it's horrifying if you actually put yourself into Brittany's shoes. Now, you mentioned that this is a financial, it's been a financial windfall for her father for 13 years to be her conservator, which is not a normal part of a conservatorship. Um, Can you explain that for for the listeners who don't understand that? Sure. So you have to imagine that in most conservatorships, we have somebody who's incapacitated. Maybe they have dementia. Maybe it's a, a parent who, you know, is just unfortunately can't take care of themselves. Um, and then now we have a child coming in there and protecting them, making sure that they're they're not taken advantage of and they have health care. And as adults, we can't control another adult's activities. We don't know. We can't know what their medical history is. We can't make medical decisions for them unless we're given that power. And so most of the conservatorships are things like that. And there is very little money involved. And these people are doing this out of love to protect their now either parent or child or somebody like that. So it's very rare that we would see somebody profiting off of these things, and especially if they're a parent. And I would understand that, you know, hey, he's devoted a lot of his time certainly to this and he needs to be compensated for it. But when he started 13 years ago, according to his own declaration, he was a caterer. He had been bankrupt. He, he said he was an alcoholic. 
Now, those to me are not great qualifications to put in charge of, of a very successful pop star who makes a lot of money and has a lot of assets and sophisticated financial dealings. None of that qualified him to do that job and certainly brought in some other professionals, but he should have never been in that role. The court should have seen that from the beginning. So we, one of the conditions now that he's making to leave is for the payment of $1.2 million in legal fees that he's racked up, a lot of which have been opposing what Britney wants, that Britney wanted him removed, and he's run up legal fees opposing that request and now wants her to pay for that. But what's really bad is half a million dollars in crisis manager public relation fees that uh, his law firm charged and it really are disguised as legal services and were all spent to rehabilitate Jamie's image because obviously he's being trashed in, in the media severely. And so he has a publicist out there trying to rehabilitate his image to make him look good. Well, fine, he can use his own money for that, but not. He's, he wants Brittany to pay for his image to be rehabilitated and disguise it as legal fees. So that alone, we could take any one of these transactions would be enough of to show a breach of fiduciary duty and a reason to remove him. But for some reason, the court is, it hasn't approved that yet, but it also hasn't expressed any outrage about what he's doing. Right. Well, you mentioned the term fiduciary, and I, would you go into that just a little bit so people understand what a fiduciary relationship is? Because it's really at the core of what's happened here for and how her father's really stepped over the line. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, celebrity attorney Christopher Melcher, drawing back the curtain on the Free Britney movement. The court is not a passive participant. It is an active stakeholder in litigation. The only reason why Brittany doesn't have liberty is because the court took it away from her by a court order. And the court can restore that by another court order. The court can also remove Jamie on the spot. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Eight Reasons Your Ex is Being a Jerk and What You Can Do About It with Divorced Girl Smiling, Jackie Pilosoff. And another thing is what to expect. So probably the worst part of divorce is fear because you don't know what to expect. So I wanted to write articles that our people can read and say or listen to my podcast of what they can expect, because that takes so much anxiety and stress and fear away if you just have an idea of what you're walking into. And now we return to today's show. It's important to understand is a fiduciary is the highest legal relationship that we can have. So, um, and it and it comes in different flavors, but it's really like entrusting money to somebody else. So, like our bank is our fiduciary. So we we deposit money with a bank, and they're responsible for holding it and giving us accountings for it and letting us have our money back. And they can't just lie to us and steal the money and say, "Oh, I still have your money." 
an attorney as a fiduciary to a client, uh, a trustee, so somebody who would take over after somebody dies as a fiduciary to that estate. And what all that means is that they have to act solely for the interest which they serve and never for their own interest. So they are an absolute servant to, and in this case, Jamie is Brittany's servant to fulfill her best interests, whatever those may be. And he can only use her money to serve her purposes. He cannot derive a personal benefit from her money. He can't buy property from her estate, which he has done. He can't engage in any of these transactions because that's self-dealing. So there has to be an arm's length uh, relationship here. And it's a very, very high duty that he undertook voluntarily. He asked to be placed in this role. And so, and I don't think that he's fulfilled that. So that's, that's the, the one of the problems here is that he is under a legal obligation to serve her interests, but yet she's saying, hey, dad, I want you out I don't even talk Hello, to you. Divorce and like Beyond you. family. Susan here, an and I'm excited to announce the launch of a brand new resource page on the website and for so you. Saying, I always say leave. that you need to educate you yourself when you're going through divorce because knowledge truly is power. And I think reading is one of the best ways that you can gain that knowledge. So I've compiled a list of my recommended books and reading on all topics related to divorce. We've got five finance, parenting, emotional regulation, healing, and a lot more. So check it out on the website at divorcingbeyondpod.com backslash beyond-reading. You can have to another. And um, it it really makes you squirm a bit to hear the, the breaches that have occurred here. And that is something that we're hearing a lot about. Um, Brittany, uh, one, it, what the I would say the media termed this major victory when she was allowed to finally hire her own attorney. Um, and he has come in sort of guns blazing, um, or pay, I'll say, you know, pleadings blazing, um, saying basically, you know, dad should have just stepped aside upon being requested to step aside, yet he hasn't um, without these this level of sort of caveats. Oh, sure, I'll step aside if you do this, if you do that. Um, but based on, you know, this level of breach of fiduciary duty, based on your knowledge and understanding, can the court act on this and and remove him and put someone else in, in his place? Absolutely. The, the court is not a passive participant. It is an active stakeholder in litigation. The only reason why Brittany doesn't have liberty is because the court took it away from her by court order, and the court can restore that by another court order. The court can also remove Jamie on the spot um, because Jamie is appointed by the court in this sacred role to take care of Brittany and the people that we put in charge here under in, in a conservatorship can also be abusers. And the court needs to have its antenna up. It needs to be looking out for this. And any red flags, like any of these transactions we just talked about, should have been an immediate red flag. The court could have suspended him, I think, even without a hearing and uh, place somebody else in charge. But it's failed to do, that, do so. And I'm glad that her new attorney is not from the system. 
And, and this is a problem that we see in, in courts. And I know a lot of people right now in this particular case are saying the court's corrupt. I don't buy that. I know there's, to me, corruption means performing an official act for payment. There's no evidence that any judge has been paid to do anything. They're just incompetent. And, um, and there's also a system that, that kind of breeds incompetence. And then also when you have a big law firm that comes in, uh, like Holland and Knight, and starts putting in pleadings and making representations and, hey, judge, we need this. This is an emergency. There's kind of a sense of the judge to say, oh, well, that must be true because Holland and Knight is saying it. And um, in the court fails to see that that's just one side saying something and we don't do justice if we only hear from one side, but that's what happened here. Matthew Rosengart's not a probate lawyer. He probably never handled one of these cases, but he's an outsider. And what I like about that is he's not concerned about upsetting anybody. He's not, he doesn't care about, well, this is the way we do it. And we see this in family court a lot. Well, you know, this is the way it's done. And for me, I was an outsider when I started from criminal defense. And I was like, this is wacky. This doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, like, we need legal process here. So that's what he's coming in and saying, basically, I don't care what's what you do normally we're doing it differently now well and that seems to be starting to be effective um hopefully the, you know this is all going to lead to new at least a new conservator but can it in your opinion ultimately result in the conservatorship no longer being in effect so there were some people who were critical of her attorney saying, well, why don't you just go in and move to end the conservatorship? Well, to me, this is the right strategy. Step one, you get rid of Jamie. Because while Jamie's there, he's in control. He has all the finances under his control and he's objecting and he's having his lawyers file every paper you can think of and charging it to Brittany. So we need to get rid of him. Once we get rid of him, then there's a temporary conservator, just Josh Rubin, who's a forensic accountant, that would take temporary charge of things. And if he's aligned with her interests and he's honest, listens to her, he's going to stay out of the way. He's going to do what he's supposed to do, just deal with finances, and he's not going to sit there and run up some big legal bill opposing her. So it'll be a little bit more smooth sailing. The, there's a second conservator in this case. There's one over the person, which means that's the one making medical decisions and where she lives, who she can see to, to the extent that that's being controlled by Jody Montgomery. And Jody has already said that she would support ending the conservatorship. So we have the one over the person saying it should be ended. And then we get the new financial person in there who hopefully will stay out of the way. And then step two, end the conservatorship. Courts are reluctant to end these things because they're worried that they're going to look bad. They, they don't want to just let people loose and then all of a sudden they're harmed, taken advantage of, and the court's to blamed. So that's why these things are self-perpetuating. Here, there's so much pressure. Um, Brittany is asking for it. The, there's, the Free Brittany movement is certainly asking for it. There's, there's a lot of, I think, hateful statements being made about the judge, which I really don't like. And I, but I do think that's going to influence the court, and they might just say, hey, Brittany, you want to be free? You're free, and let her make her own decisions, good or bad, just like the rest of us. Right. But, but you said in the beginning, and I think it's a very important point, if Brittany wants to blow her millions 
on the stupidest thing in the world, whatever someone might think of that, that's her right. It's her. Those are her monies, um, and that's everything. You know, it, it have has really been taken away from her. Yet she's still been used. You know, she's had that long residency in Las Vegas. Millions of dollars were pouring in through that. The uh, you know the other part of all of this is how um, this has trickled down to her children. Uh, she is a mother who, as you mentioned earlier in this, part of what I believe, you know, has come out is some of the coercive control has come about through threats to her custodial custodial access to her children or just her access to her children. Um, but you also mentioned her, her kids have a restraining order against their own grandfather as a result of this. I mean, this has been a, a very divisive and upsetting uh, experience for not just Brittany, but also, you know, has trickled down throughout the family. It's a family estranged in many ways. We've seen play out in the media her comments about her sister and other members of the family as well. Um, do you think that if this were all to be removed and the the conservatorship were no longer in place, um, does that remove this sort of public access into Britney's life, into her finances, into the decisions made around her life? If there's no longer the court pleadings being filed for people to have that sort of inside look. Well, it's, I think she'll, she will be telling her story and she's under, you know, some restrictions or observations right now by the conservatorship. So I'm sure she'll be telling her story. I'm sure she'll be suing people. And that'll be a whole other saga. What I'm really worried about for her, though, is that the children, because uh, KFED, um, her ex, has, has already said through, through his lawyer, Mark Kaplan, that if the conservatorship ends, that they'll be seeking a custody evaluation. And I, I don't see any legitimate really need for that um, because she's already co-parenting with him. And I, I don't know exactly their schedule, but you know, why would the end of the conservatorship mean anything? I guess they will argue that that was protective of the children and with that protection gone, that they need yet other protections, maybe monitoring or supervised visits. And I really hate to see her get put through that. There was also um, a statement by KFED's lawyer that, well, you know, whether this conservatorship was abusive or not, whether it was rightly or wrongly placed on her, it is obviously impacted her. She's taken lithium. Now she was given that probably against her, her will or certainly without informed consent. And so now the lawyer for KFED saying, well, hey, she's got this history of taking lithium. So how could she be safe as a parent? It's really heartbreaking to see those type of arguments made. And at least, you know, hey, give her a break here. Um, but we probably will see a family law matter spawn out of this. Um, and, and that's that's maybe the saddest thing. It's one thing to do this to Brittany. Don't do that to her kids. Right. And that's that is the you know, there's going to be, I think, so much fallout from this, not only within the Brittany world, but also for family law, conservator law, probate laws. We go forward you know, the, one of the things that strikes me is the notoriety and the level of abuse that was allowed to go on for such a long period of time here is going to perhaps create issues as people go forward when you either have cases where legitimately a conservatorship is needed 
um, or, you know, arguments that are going to be made or just hesitations on people's part because of what has happened here. Yeah, I, I think that um, we hopefully learn something out of every bad case, out of every legal mistake. We're going to improve. That's the, the goal. But it hasn't really worked. I mean, there, there's plenty of examples of, of abusive conservatorships. We look at Brian Wilson. He was under abusive conservatorship, the guy from the Beach Boys. And that went on for a long time and he was taken advantage of. And where was the court in all of that? And what did we learn about that? And, and I've been spending time since, again, probate's not my thing, um, but I've, I've, I'm sitting there reading the probate code very carefully, and we have very good laws. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, we got to change the law. Well, we pretty much got a law for everything at this point. We just need people to read it, understand it, follow it, enforce it. That's the problem. Um, it's, it's not the, the, the lack of a law on the books. It's the lack of courage by the court to actually enforce those things. The I understand courts are overcrowded and burdened, and, and that's very difficult. And we see that a lot in family law where it's, you, you know, hey, you got 15 minutes to make your case. How could you possibly do that? How could the court possibly understand anything? I get that. But the court also has to use common sense. And I think that's what's been missing in a lot of these cases. So I am, I'm hoping the courts will look at things more critically as a result of this case that will require more oversight, more, more thinking here about what's happening. Like, well, when a, when a transaction, when Jamie Spears says, I want to buy um, property from the estate uh, with my money, like, why not just, why don't just rubber stamp that say like, well, can't you buy some other property? Why do you need to buy this particular property? So just um, what I'm hoping is, is that courts, because of the scrutiny that's been placed on this uh, particular case, will be acting more carefully. But I get it. There's limited resources. The, the pie of resources is not going to expand after this. No, it's a, it's a story that will continue to unfold. And I'd love to have you come back on and, and talk about this more. Um, but you and I mentioned early in this episode, you have started to do a lot more media and these wonderful, I mean, I think everyone who's listened can just see the level of both um, you know, legal understanding that you have. And you've also really gone into 13 years of pleadings and, and, and the code. Um, you've been doing a YouTube channel that really is giving this nuanced layer of a lot of these high-profile cases. Tell us a little bit more about that and how people can access that. So if you, if you go to YouTube and just search Christopher Melcher, um, M-E-L-C-H-E-R, it'll, it'll come up. And so it's a, this little baby channel that I started and um, where I've just I've kind of feel like I'm a frustrated journalist. I just really like telling that story behind the story. I love the law. I mean, I can just learn any different aspect of it, and I enjoy that. And where my passions really is is just making these legal concepts accessible and understandable to other people. And what I love about this Free Britney movement is, is that there's so many people who want to know about the law because of this case. They want to understand what does this term mean? What is this procedure? Is the lawyer, new lawyer doing the right strategy? So they're kind of thinking like lawyers. And I've had even one, one person uh, message me last week saying, I want to go to law school because of this case. And I'm like, 
you know, hey, let's talk. I'll I'll tell you what law school's about, what what law career is about. I'm I'm working with other people, the same kind of thing. People are already in law school saying, like, wow, I, I don't want to do corporate, I want to do this. And so that is all so positive. So to me, what I'm trying to do is is look at that audience who wants to know the legal part of it, the 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 strategy, the pleadings. Somebody like me will go in there and analyze things, but then tell it in English so they can understand that and get that part of the story rather than just the headline. Yeah, well, I can tell you, you do it brilliantly. Um, it is not easy to do. And unfortunately, after 27, 30 years of uh, being on one side of the table in, a, in legal matters, we tend to think in that legalese because it's the world and the conversation that we hear every day. And so it's very important to, and gift to have to be able to break that down um, as you have just done in this episode and you do so well in your videos. Uh, so I encourage everyone, I know you recently did one on Kelly Clarkson and Brandon Blackstock's prenup situation and their divorce and, and Brangelina and, and a number of other issues. So do go check that out. I will put links to the YouTube channel in my um, in the show notes. Um, and Chris I, Chris, I just really appreciate your coming on. Thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Great. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.